Hey there, I'm Marjorie Stiegler, and you're listening to the Career Prescription Podcast, where we tackle the important things they don't teach you in medical school, like how to treat your career like the business it really is, with strategies to accelerate the kind of success that you want, because you deserve a career you love and a career that loves you back. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Hey there, welcome back to The Career Prescription. Today, I'm going to be addressing a really common misconception about physician job opportunities within the pharmaceutical and medical device industry, in particular, that you don't need to have prior experience in order to get started. This has got to be one of the top questions that I am asked, and it's definitely one of the top things that we address in the Industry Insider course. So if you're interested in that, check it out. It'll be in the show notes. But you know, this this comes up frequently. And so I have uh, many, many text messages and DMs with people all the time uh, in which I'm trying to help them to understand that they don't need to have prior experience and that they don't need to be limiting themselves to searching for opportunities within their clinical specialty. So I was giving an example of my own, right? I'm an anesthesiologist by training, but I have done work now in pharma in the respiratory as well as infectious diseases and women's health. Even though the job descriptions will often specify that they'd like somebody in a certain clinical area, a lot of times that's not necessary. And a lot of job descriptions will say that, you know, five years or three years of pharma experience are required. But also, again, if you're applying for the right jobs, that's almost never necessary. So I had recently had a conversation with somebody, um, and then I just went ahead and, and posted it more broadly in a group so that other people could kind of benefit from that. And, and the person wrote that this was uh, confusing and troublesome. And I've heard similar themes to this before, you know, things along the lines of, you know, why would you want to go work for a company uh, that doesn't require you to have prior experience or that doesn't require you to, to be an expert in that therapeutic area, as if that somehow reflects a lower standard on the part of the company. Um, and that's just, that's simply not the case. So I wanted to take the opportunity in today's podcast, which I know we often talk about and we talk about careers, obviously, all the time, and we talk about non-clinical careers more specifically, but I wanted to get really highly specific into this uh, pharma career question that comes up very, very, very often. And if you have ever looked into uh, a pharma role, you undoubtedly have seen that just about every job posting does specify some type of clinical area of expertise, and also specifies a certain number of years. Uh, you're never going to find a job description that says, it's okay if you have no experience and we don't care what your background is, right? It's never going to read that way. It's always going to read a different way. But I want to help you to sort of uh, not only read between the lines, but also to understand how you uh, can position yourself to really bring something of value to the table, uh, which is in fact, the reason they're hiring you, it's its not for your clinical expertise because you're not going to be taking care of patients anymore. It's going to be uh, an entirely different skill set, a skill set that you as a physician have. Let me explain why it is that you can get a job uh, as a physician in the pharmaceutical industry or in medical device, clinical research without prior experience and not necessarily limited to your specialty. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't matter. Obviously, if you have experience, that's super. And if you 
are seeing opportunities in your clinical area of expertise, that is super too. But if you aren't, it should not hold you back for uh, from trying. And, and here are some reasons why. So first and foremost, unlike clinical medicine, in, in industry, and I guess in business in general, there's a huge amount of on-the-job training. It's very formalized. You know, you, you are not expected to show up knowing everything that you're supposed to do. You uh, expect to be trained. So there's a, a huge onboarding process. And I know for physicians, that seems very bizarre because we're expected to either have learned everything in med school or residency or kind of figure it out as we go and to sort of show up on a day where you are you know, fully employed with full salary and benefits and not know what you're doing seems like a completely foreign concept. And in many ways, it should because patients are directly in your care in a clinical circumstance. But in pharma, that's a little bit different. So, I mean, first and foremost, there there is just a, a completely different paradigm of onboarding and training and teaching and developing that is um, the cultural norm within pharma. So not as important to have that prior experience or to know everything when you get there. Another reason that it's not as important and, and particularly not as important for you to be looking and limited to your own specialty is that you are really being hired for a higher level set of skills. You're being hired because of the way that you have developed your clinical thinking over the years of your training and perhaps your clinical work. You're being hired for your ability to understand literature and scientific research and to be able to communicate it to other people, um, particularly to non-scientists. You are being hired to understand what patients need, right? What do they need that would make it better for the problems that they have today for which we don't have treatments today or what would make those treatments better? Um, and to understand what doctors need, right? What would make what would make them feel like they had something better in their armamentarium to help take care of patients? What what kind of things did they need today that they don't have? Similarly, what matters to insurance companies and what kind of information would need to be uh, given to them to help them to understand either the importance of a disease, right, the impact on the patient uh, or how it, you know, a medicine may help. Um, and of course, their point of view is, is often quite different and often is sort of financially oriented, but they do care about patient outcomes and they care about, you know, benefits to patients and they care about reducing healthcare utilization and healthcare costs. So uh, being able to communicate all of these things and ensuring the scientific accuracy of both medical and non-medical materials like, for example, a commercial, right? Being able to make sure that although it's a commercial intended for general audiences, that it is correct and that nothing is sort of lost. The accuracy isn't lost as it is sort of turned from a scientific study into something that might be more appropriate for general audiences. So those are really just a small handful of examples. But the overarching point is, you know, you're really being hired for the way that you think and the perceptions and perspective that you have as a physician who has gone through training, who has potentially gone through some uh, clinical practice, and ideally some clinical practice, although again, I, I do know exceptions to that rule. Um, and so you don't necessarily need to be a subject matter expert in the specific disease state or specific medicines that, that you're working on. What you do need to be able to do is to understand those. So if there's something that you're not that you don't know because it's not your area of expertise. It's extremely common practice. I mean, in fact, I would say this is sort of a bread and butter activity 
to hold what's called an advisory board, where you get a bunch of consultants together who are the leading experts in that field. And you ask them questions and they tell you what they think. And then again, you're sort of the translator. So you take back that expert opinion and you bring it back and you you take a look at like, okay, well, what does that mean to the regulators, right? To the FDA? What does that mean to the commercial part of the organization? What does it mean to the insurance companies? And so you're almost a master translator. And you can do this in any specialty, does not need to be your own specialty, because of course you can learn it and you can have consultants in those specialties. So it it really is not a limiting factor. Then the third thing to keep in mind is obviously you have to be applying for the right job. So when I say you don't need to have prior experience, you don't need to have prior experience for an entry-level job. Now, an entry-level physician job in pharma is probably mid to even upper level job in general within the company, right? It, because it, it, it does take into account your level of education. It, the compensation generally matches that, that a physician would expect from their, their clinical work. So, you know, you, you're not going to be applying to be a vice president or chief medical officer right away and expect to do that without prior experience. But if you find the right entry level opportunities, which is often a medical director, despite what the title may sound like a medical director or an associate medical director, uh, those you can often, I mean, th- it's entry level, right? It's, it's it's actually not expected that you would have considerable experience and they do expect to onboard and train you. So part of that is just applying to the right jobs. You know, if you're applying to the wrong kind of job for which experience is indeed needed, then you'll be disappointed, right? Nobody's going to be calling you back. You will uh, you will be unqualified. So some of that is just being able to read between the lines of the job uh, postings, the job descriptions. And then finally, I'll say that, you know, many companies have specific programs for the purpose of bringing in physicians and developing them because they know that we don't get a lot of business or pharmaceutical or drug development training in, you know, traditional medical school and residency. That's just not part of the curriculum, generally speaking. So a lot of people really don't have a full understanding, uh, a deep understanding of how a medicine is developed from that bench science to early phase research, late phase research, bringing it to, uh, you know, to make it available for patients through regulatory approval, and then continuing to monitor uh, safety and so forth throughout the throughout the cycle of that medicine. They, they know that physicians don't have that. So Many companies have formal programs that are designed to bring in physicians without any experience whatsoever and sort of rotate them through, you know, six months in regulatory, six months in clinical development, six months in medical affairs, and so on. Um, And the idea, of course, or the the hope is that at the end of that couple of years of that uh, rotational employment, that then you'd be, you know, quite well prepared to take a, a, you know, full-time role. I mean, they're both full-time. They're both full-time and they would both be paid. But, you know, to take a more um, substantial role and a more senior role as someone who now is experienced. So companies have these kind of programs. They are highly competitive, but you can look for those in addition to just looking for a job. Uh, And I, I think part and parcel with that too is to keep in mind that within the pharmaceutical industry, it is, it's just different from academics in that, you know, it's your boss's job to help you develop and grow skills and 
move on to the next job, right? It's their job to help groom you for a promotion. And maybe that's true in academics, but I feel like to much lesser of a degree. So you have bosses, right? The people who are going to make the hiring decisions who are, you know, to variable degrees, more or less receptive. And people who really, really like coaching and developing people are going to be much, much more receptive. Uh, My first boss was like that when I had zero experience, very receptive to bringing me in and knowing that I was going to need to learn everything as a completely green physician. Um, and, and she had a commitment to develop and teach and, and, and that's what she does today as well. And I try to kind of pull that through and carry it forward myself. So you're going to have programs and you're going to have people who understand that it's in the company's best interest in the industry's best interest to attract some bright people who could really make a big, big difference for patients who don't have the experience today, but who are interested and whom, if they received the right kind of training and support, would be good at it. So this is like not a foreign concept inside. So the hiring managers are often looking at this. Now, I'll caveat this and say, yeah, depending upon the speed with which something needs to happen, like probably in the companies who are working on various COVID vaccines and therapeutics, when they had to stand up those groups really, really quickly, they probably were looking for people with experience. I mean, that just makes common sense, right? Because that had to get done quickly. It had to get done right. But there are a lot of areas in which there's just much more leisure time because, as you might know, it takes many, many years often to bring a medicine through uh, from early stages of discovery through the pipeline and, and you know, to be ready for regulatory submission and approval. And in those cases, there is time for people to come in in an entry-level physician job and learn what it is that they need to learn. So I hope that this episode is helpful to kind of make it more tangible what I mean when I say that even if it's listed on a job description, I do not think you um, you should limit your efforts or be discouraged because everywhere you look, it says prior experience is needed, or it says they're hoping to hire somebody specifically in, you know, a, a certain type of clinical specialty. I know firsthand, not only from myself, but also from many, many of my peers and many of my students uh, from Industry Insider who have successfully transitioned from clinical medicine into uh, wonderful jobs in the pharmaceutical industry, the medical device industry, um, even diagnostics, and did not have experience with that before. So it's absolutely possible. It's absolutely doable. It's not going to fall out of the sky, right? There's a little bit of work that needs to happen. Um, these jobs are competitive. So obviously you have to be uh, a, a quality physician, but a lot of the skills that you have that you need, those most transferable and important skills, you already have. And if you uh, just take a look at your personal and professional experience in the right way, you would you would realize that you have them and you'd be able to talk about them in a way that would be attractive to an employer. So uh, that's in a nutshell. Do not let those things discourage you. Do not let them um, cause you to eliminate yourself. You know, you should still pursue and apply for those things, even if you see that you don't have every single thing that's listed. And in fact, even if you don't have many of the things that's listed, because as long as you have a lot of the main core skills about being able to understand and communicate clinical science well, and as long as you are interested and eager and ready to learn, and you're looking at the appropriate level job, that entry level role, then 
you can have great success without necessarily needing to find something in your specialty and without having prior industry experience. If you want to learn more about exactly how to do this, how to find those kind of jobs or how to critically evaluate your own skills and experience for for transferability, uh, you can learn more at my course, Industry Insider, and also the free webinar that I have related to that course. Those links are in the show notes and you're welcome to check them out. I also, of course, hope this podcast helps you. And you may get rejections, but just be sure that it's not you rejecting yourself, not you limiting your own potential opportunities by not applying. That's it for today's episode. Bye for now. Before you go, please review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Your support makes all the difference, and it truly helps this information reach someone who may really need it. Until next time, thanks for listening.